Hey, this is Brian Gray from The Blamed and the Satire. I'm stoked to be here with Dan and Joe talking about Staves Acre on Discography Discussion. You're listening to Discography Discussion, episode 257, Stavesaker, with Brian Gray of The Blamed. Yeah, we can have a separate episode where we break down what y'all did. Hosted by Dan Terry. Super rare, only released on this cat, you know. And Joseph Wren. Please tell me why you guys haven't covered Kill the Sarks yet. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. And if you're still waiting for gold and silver, then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe. That is Dan. Brian Gray is here. Everybody's sick. What's going <laughs> on, guys? We're talking about Stavesaker. This is the whole reason I went to Furnace Fest. Worth it. Just to see Stavesaker, huh? Really was. Once I heard Mark on the labeled podcast say this, there's a large chance to be the last time you ever see us. I was like already on the fence. You and I had talked about it, Dan, and and then I was like, I'm going. Yeah, yeah. I was I was had kind of the opposite. I whereas you were not sure if you were going for a really long time. I was sure I was going for a really long time, and then ended up not being able to. (laughs) Then your bumper fell off. Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, we'll say I didn't go because my bumper fell off. Yeah. Um, definitely one of my biggest, uh, regrets for, uh, last year, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still stoked, you know, I'm trying not to let it get me down and I'll definitely try to make my way there next year where I'm sure it's going to be an equally, uh, fascinating and once in a lifetime experience. I'm looking forward to hearing who's playing. Yeah. Are they already talking about the next Furnace Fest? They did pre-sale tickets on Black Friday. They've Wasn't done it? a few events like... He kind of co-sponsored the Emory event in Kansas mm-hmm. City. I just watched the Beloved live stream last night on their Facebook group. Oh, I need to catch that. I never got to see Beloved live, and Dan's been shoving that album down everybody's throat for a long time. Well, it, funny story about Beloved, and I'm sure I've told this before on the podcast. We were, we were at Cornerstone the year they broke up. And I passed on seeing Beloved because at the time they were like one of the more up and coming bands. You know, they'd had the record out for a little while and they were strong. I'd seen them play. I saw them play with Zayo uh, here in St. Louis. And then I went to went to Cornerstone and there were so many big Cornerstone, much like Furnace Fest, is a lot of option paralysis. There's a lot of things that you're going to be really stoked about doing, but you're only going to get to do about half of them. You know, and so I passed up Beloved. And I remember a buddy of mine being like, oh, but I really like him. I really want to go see him. I was like, you can go see him, but they're not going anywhere. We'll see him again some other time. And uh, yeah, then they like announced the breakup like a month later. I mean, it was just, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you can ask my wife. I'm consistently wrong. Like if I ever tell you that I got a hunch about something or that my intuition is telling me something, Go ahead and go with the exact opposite of whatever it is that I have a hunch on, and you will probably be a millionaire by 30. Yeah. It's like that scene in Super Mario Brothers where Luigi says, turn left, and then Mario doesn't, and he says, perfect. He says, you said go left. Yeah, but I wanted you to go right, so I told you the opposite of what I wanted you to do. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, let's not even get into, yeah, just saying the opposite of what you meant to say. (laughs) Trust me, I'm in a band. I tell everybody to be there two hours early. 
knowing they still won't make it on time. So it's not right. that I'm upset. It's past experiences. Guys have taught yeah, me that yeah. I just need to over exaggerate arrival times. Yes, we've had a drummer like that more than once, Dan. Yes, we have. <laughs> you know, speaking of speaking of music, <laughs> uh, you know the the reason we are all assembled uh, tonight is to talk about Stave's Acre because they're one of the most influential bands that I don't think a lot of people talk about as much anymore, and I think it's kind of a shame. Not that they're like gone. I mean, obviously they just played a major festival, at least a major festival to us. Um, just a couple of, you know, just a few months back now. It's been that long. Yeah, um, it's been months. <laughs> it's been a long time. Um, but this is also probably one of the most requested episodes people have asked us to do in the past few years. And I've always been kind of on the fence about it because I'm kind of weird about like, you know, if I know that a discussion is going to be good and fun and something that I care about, uh, I tend to just, for whatever reason, wait as long as humanly possible uh, to get around to doing that episode. Uh, and I think a lot of it is just trying to compose what I want to say without sounding cheesy or weird. Is this why um, we haven't done a Motorhead episode yet? No, that's just because I don't want to listen to that many years worth of albums. It's a lot of albums. <laughs> it is a lot. <laughs> but for all those people that have held on this long, we are we are going to actually talk about this band today. So you've never done a Stave Saker episode? No, never. Because uh, I know you've mentioned to me before, sometimes you'll revisit a band, and I kept wondering and forgot to ask you if this was a revisit. No, it's not a revisit. Although it's funny because sometimes when people ask me, like, oh, hey, have you have you ever talked about this band on the show? A lot of the times I actually have to go check. Yeah. Because I can't remember a lot of the... I mean, we're going back, I think. What episode number did you say this was, Joe? Like 257 or something like that? That's Above right. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. So... Um, but yeah, we definitely, I, I knew for a fact we'd never talked about these guys and, um, I think it's important. We hinted, I think I even said whenever we did the crucified episode that I was going to do it, uh, or I was going to, you know, the, the, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Stave's Acres next, you know, we're going to, we're just going to jump right in. And then, you know, we jumped right in like three years later. Yeah. That reminds me, we need to get Doug back on the show. Um, because that was a great show, especially if I was sick. He, uh, he could have talked the entire time, but I think he was just... <laughs> I think Doug Van Pelt was just on the labeled podcast. It was a great conversation. Well, if I continue to be sick or if my test results come back in a way I don't want them to come back, I'll have plenty of time to sit down and listen to it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's worth the listen for sure. So. Well, before Dan gets less satisfactory test results, I'm going to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, then you can find everything Discography Discussion at DiscussMetal.com. We are on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. So if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening. And now Dan is going to tell us all about five-star reviews. Well, we do enjoy our five-star reviews here on Discography Discussion. You guys want to leave us a review, tell us we're doing a good job, or tell us we're doing a bad job. I don't have to tell you to tell us that we're doing a bad job. Somebody will. <laughs> you're just going to know to do that. It's a telepathic thing. But, uh, you know, it does help us kind of know uh, what you're looking for out of the show. And 
if there is something that we could be doing better, you know, feel free to let us know. There's a lot of ways you can reach out to us to let us know that as well, which I will go over in exquisite detail at the end of the show. So uh, keep them coming and, um, you know, always, always feel free to reach out. We are always receptive to hearing what you have to say. Hey, Brian. Yes. What's going on with the blamed? What's going on with the satire? What's going on with you, man? Uh, the blamed is just slowly finishing up our 2021 release. It's going to be 2022, but it still was done in 2021. You guys are actually going to be a part of the record. So we haven't got that far. I hate it now preemptively announcing, but can't wait to get your parts done. Now all the listeners want to know what's coming. Do we want to spoil that here or do we want to leave no, them in no, wondering? Let them no, make them yeah. buy the record and find it themselves. That's the way you gotta go. <laughs> yeah, we can have a separate episode where we break down what y'all did. <laughs> there you go. We'll just post a YouTube video. I, I want to do one of those really weird ones where like it'll be me and Joe standing in front of a microphone and it'll just be like, we're working on something. Yeah, exactly. That'd be perfect. And everybody will be all like, Duh, you guys do a podcast. What is you in front of a microphone? How is that any different than any other day? Exactly. The, um, the satire, we actually are about um, done with them. Um, we're going to put out a, a cassette single. Yeah, just Wait. something similar to what Starflyer did last year. I totally stole it from them. It'll be the new song, and then the B-side will be this really cool demo of the song uh, that we actually did at Steve Albini's studio. So, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so it'll be, but it's like the old lineup. I played drums on the old demo. It's not even remotely cool, except that it's kind of cool. It'll be something that, you know, people will be... That's one of those types of things that you're going to put it out, people are going to buy it, and then, like, you know, 10 years later, you're going to be browsing eBay, and somebody's going to be all, like, super rare, only released on this net, you know? Like, it's so funny how that stuff is, and you're, like, looking over at a pile of them. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) no, exactly. No, we're only going to make, I think, like, 50 or something. Okay. small run satire is not as big as the blame so it um you know but folks like it so it'll be fun and uh, literally the whole thing is done except for my guitars which is a rarity so they're just waiting on me well i appreciate you taking time out of your night to uh procrastinate on that a little bit more no <laughs> no with us. i don't know that i would have done it tonight anyways but That's the fair. um yeah i mean i'm a stave Zaker fan and i'm a discography discussion fan so i was very thankful y'all invited me to be a part Absolutely. Well, and you you have more, I don't want to say insider knowledge of the band, but you know more about things as they were happening than we do. Um, Because I think the first... I think the first album I ever heard by these guys was uh, Speakeasy. I think that was their big. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, well, that was the, I mean, for a lot of people, I think that um, that was kind of their big breakthrough. That was whenever we were like, are these guys going to become a really, really huge band? Or, you yeah. know what I mean? That was, it was definitely during that era. So I think that's when the most ears were on it. But I actually, um, I ended up getting uh, Friction and Absolutes at Cornerstone one year on cassette. I still have the cassettes. I mean, those records are mind-blowing. Yeah, those are... It's weird, too, because they don't sound like Speakeasy, which we'll get into. Not at all, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I remember being, like, kind of taken aback, like, oh, okay, so this is a totally different... Uh, this is a totally different kind of deal, and uh, I can't wait... Uh, I can't wait to see what the rest of their records... But at that time, I think whenever I got into them, there was just those three records. So, um, but yeah, a lot, lot of diversity there in just, in just three records, which on this show, we very much appreciate because... I've listened to bands that have been around for 30 years that you put the first record on and then you put the newest record on and it's the same thing, which... Yeah, I do that all the time. 
it's not the worst thing you can do, especially if you know you're the super fan and you're wanting to hear that thing your favorite band does. Totally, that was the uh, whatever they call it, 1995. Whatever the last record they put out. I mean, I don't want to rush into it, and we'll get into it as we go. But I mean, that was everything you wanted to hear. Oh yeah, I think Brian really wants to get going. Dan, what do you think? No, yeah, that's no. cool. I'm the one. Sl- I'm the one slowing everybody down. I'm like, I'm in that weird position where I'm like, am I actually sick, or is it just talking about potentially being sick that is making me think that I'm sick? We'll find out by the end of this episode. Well, before we get going, I got some comments I need to read. Wonderful comments. We got a comment going all the way back to episode 137, Seven Dust, with Morgan Rose from henry b tyndall jr he goes most highly underrated drummer ever in the most my, in the most highly underrated band ever nye show at 29 in 2019 at masquerade in atlanta was one of my favorite of all time um couple of things number one that episode was i like i go back and I listen to that and I, I, it's one of those things that i can't believe even happened because we had Morgan Rose from Seven Dust on, and it was more like a therapy session than it was an actual like interview. <laughs> I don't even think we got around to talking about the Seven Dust albums. That's a band we need to probably revisit. He talked talk for two hours. Yeah. Scott Bowling was there too, by the way. Yeah, he was on his way to a Fozzie concert. It's, he so went to the Fozzie concert. <laughs> he did. We we watched him pay a bum twenty dollars for parking. Nice. And the guy just took his twenty dollars and walked off, and then just <laughs> never came back. All that happens while we're having this interview with uh, with Morgan Rose. And uh, yeah, that was also the last night I drank pumpkin beer. Um, I haven't touched any of it since then because I, just the thought of pumpkin in a drink, it, like I won't drink a pumpkin beer or a pumpkin latte or anything. Like I, I am done with that flavor. <laughs> but um, I will disagree a little bit. I mean, who who's who thinks that Seven Dust is underrated? I thought they were like a huge band. <laughs> Dan Terry circa 2005. Entirely possible. Uh, Lost Fiction on Patreon, uh, in reference to our Ultraviolet by Misery Signals review, said, Any chance you will cover the new Rivers of Nihil record? It's been my album of the year, and I'm dying to hear your feelings on this one. Um, Yes, we will talk about the new record and all the other ones, too, uh, this year. (laughs) So we will uh, definitely get there. They are on the list. They are in the rotation. I don't usually like to spoil what bands we're talking about, so... I won't tell you the exact week it's coming out, but we are. It is happening. So um, just just hold on for anywhere between one week to two years. How can people find out what week it's coming, Dan? Oh well, if you sign up for the Patreon, um, you know we, we tell you stuff like that. I'm I'm real free. And lo- <laughs> I'm real free and loose on the Patreon <laughs> about <laughs> stuff. So uh, definitely uh, definitely check that out. So Brian, tell me about Stave Saker. Well, you guys, I think know this, but. The singer of The Blamed from Frail, Jeremy Moffat, left The Blamed to play drums for Stavesacre. And I was playing with Mortal before that, with Jeff from Stavesacre. And I lived at the Newman House, which was infamous in Southern California with Mark. So when they were putting this band together, you were just really excited for it to come out. I think one of the biggest things about this record is really... I'm sorry, Joe, I'm just jumping into it, but... I think the thing that's interesting about this record is that, um, and we're talking about Friction from 1996, in case uh, anybody doesn't doesn't know that. Dan is not um, holding back. I'm not. I, this record is so cool because, like, number one, I had no frame of reference for this whenever I first heard it, and this is, like, a lot of the stuff. 
Uh, as I said earlier, I heard Speakeasy first, which was more of just like a like a hard rock record. And I'm saying like, oh, just like a, like I'm being dismissive of it. It, it. Trust me, I'm not. When we get to that record, I'll have a lot to say. Um, but <laughs> it's definitely a record that I remember whenever I got it. I say a record, but I had a cassette. And I sat there staring at the cover for the longest time, trying to figure out what it actually was. Um, it's obviously just like a knife. Like, like it's just a cutter, you know? It's a um, straight it's razor. A razor. Straight razor, yeah. But um, me being a kid, little kid that didn't have facial hair or anything, um, had no idea. Had no idea what it was. And it looked it looked to me, for whatever reason, it's got this, like, wood finish on it. Yeah. And so I thought it was, like, a giant sausage for, for the longest time. Because I'd be all like, you know, because people would be all like, oh, yeah, you like that album Friction? I was like, is that the one that has a sausage on the cover? Yeah. <laughs> And then somebody carefully sat me down and explained to me what a huge idiot I was. Um, and uh, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Now that I'm actually looking at it with my eyes, um, yeah, I can definitely see it's not a sausage. Um, has nothing to do with the record. So what happens whenever you take, like, 90s alternative rock and mix it with, like, 90s hardcore? <laughs> you get a thought crushed my mind. Yeah. You get that a little bit later, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, and if I could interject... I'm going to use the word timestamp here, but you have to imagine this is probably before y'all's time. They came on the scene at Cornerstone that year. Argyle Park was headlining the encore stage. Nice. And our Argyle Park brought Stave Zaker out to play the three songs from their three song independent cassette demo. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, we all had that cassette. It was passed around. It was a major deal to have that tape because friction didn't bike him out for a while after that i mean and it was just you know you were waiting i mean <clears throat> going further back to let's say the crucified so you have two members of the crucified in this thing the bassist of focused i mean you're like you've been waiting for mark solomon to sing on a heavy music release right then the next things you're getting over the years all of a sudden there's mark solomon singing on the mortal album fathom right. then he sings on xl and dvd and then he sings on Focus Bow. Yeah. Then he sings on the acoustic song on the Blamed album. Not a testimony to heavy music, but um but you just but even for me that was watching Mark starting to get more into my melody. You know, and I don't mean to throw my own band in there, but we just we we're all part of the scene. But think about um it wasn't released yet, but it was done. Do you have you ever heard the Crucified's greatest hits or their box yeah. yeah. And now they have the song uh, Straining Life. Mm-hmm. And Mark singing melodic like he would in Stavesacre for the first time on Straining Life. Probably even a little bit in Mindbender. Yeah. So yeah, that's getting, interesting. It's, I never even thought about that. Well, I just, you were, I was there. Yeah. So you watched the progression. And then when Stavesacre hits with this three song demo, it's like, I think Trainwreck was the first song on it. So it hits you running and then this aggressive, it's heavy. And then there's Mark Solomon from The Crucified singing. <laughs> yes, but it really wasn't that different because not like Mark was a screamer. He was just always singing fast. Now he's singing slow and melodic. So you didn't have to try to memorize how were you ever going to sing all those lyrics in your image, you know, or whatever. Did right. the demo have the same early tool vibes that it's this record songs. has sometimes? It's three songs from the record. So that's a yes. Yeah. I wish yeah, I could I, have heard I, that. <laughs> I, I'm looking at it on Discogs right now, and it says it was Trainwreck, At the Moment, and Suffocate Me were the three songs. Okay. So yeah, that all uh, yeah, that all transferred over. All right. You, so throw that Bob Marley wannabe motherfucker out of here. 
Yeah, exactly. When you throw that, um, <laughs> throwing out the timestamp for it again, think about that was when Bruce first sang for Live and Sacrifice a year or so later. They just dropped it in on cassette. You were still in that era where a three-song Stavesacre tape at Cornerstone was a game changer. Right. Wow. That's interesting. And I'm saying that like weird. I, I, I'm not saying like, oh, that's cool. Real cool. Let's move on. No, I'm not saying like that. I just, uh, whenever I think about it, it's weird whenever you come in, you kind of come to the party late um, and you're catching up on stuff because that's what I did a lot whenever I started kind of getting into heavier music and especially like heavier Christian music when I was younger. Um, I didn't know how to put the pieces together. You know, yeah. and I'm still there, there's a lot of the stuff that I still don't always completely understand how all the lines connect. And that's, yeah. I mean, a lot of the conversations that we've had and a, a lot of the conversations I've had with other people um, about these things. It does come from a place of genuine cur- curiosity, because when I first heard because I heard I heard Stavesacre before I heard the crucified. Yeah. You know? Oh, that's that's interesting. Yeah, it's 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 kind of a weird sort of uh, kind of a weird sort of perspective to have. So whenever I went back and I was like, oh, okay, well, it's the same singer from this band. I like this band. I'm gonna go check out, you know, his old band, you know, and uh, and I didn't like it because it was different, you know. Uh, and I think at that time too, I did appreciate more melodic singers to uh, what he was doing in the Crucified, and uh, you know, and now as a as a metalhead for years and years and years, I think you know I, I can appreciate the Crucified a, a lot more um, as far as that aggressiveness goes. Sure. Well, that but your story is most people's. Yeah. Most most folks. I mean, if you even were to crunch numbers, Stavesacre probably outsold the Crucified like ten to one. Right. But they don't have the same. I don't want to say they don't, but I think it's been the, probably the bane of Mark's existence. The idea of how many people the crucified will never die, and there's right. a lot of people that moved on from Stavesacre. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's interesting too that um, this record hit in such a way. This was my first hint that that like you know that this type of like underground music was just as good as what the as the stuff that was mainstream because you know obviously there's that that whole like mostly idiots say this but like. Oh yeah, Christian rock music is always just you know this or that or this or this, and it can't be innovative and it can't be cool and it can't be relevant and all that stuff. And records like this, you know, in 1996, fly in the face of that. <laughs> no, exactly. In such a profound way. But they also like. Um, I'm just doing my math while we're talking, and I don't mean to take over if I'm being too much. Let me know. But I mean, Friction they hired a massive producer for it. Brian Carlstrom was a huge deal in '96. Yeah, I think you he can worked, hear it too. Yeah, yeah, I think he had worked on the the Orange Nine Millimeter records, maybe an Allison Chains record. He was like the fifth Beatle with that band to an extent, and you can hear it when he stopped working with them. But like that, um, you know, when you think of Friction, like you said, coming on the scene, feeling like it could keep up with what was in the mainstream. It was the mainstream. I mean. That was when you think of Tooth and Nail dropping in a record produced by Brian Carlstrom, and maybe that next year was the MXPX record produced by the dude from The Descendants or whatever. I mean, Bill Stevenson or whatever they did. I mean, those were the precursors. The rest of us were still at the green room with Bob Moon or whoever, which are great engineers. You still had Starflyer with the guys from Mortal, sometimes Sunday with the, the Andy Prickett in, um, I don't even remember who engineered that record, probably Gene Eugene. But you just... Then all of a sudden you were getting into Stavesacre Friction, just like you said. Yeah. 
it's weird to hear the 90s mainstream influences. And you mentioned they have the personnel to back up some of those cosmetic choices. When I listened to this record, I really enjoyed it because I'm not just hearing that old school tool sound or that 90s hardcore sound. There's Pearl Jam in this. Yep. There's Hum in this. All the music that we listen to on that alternative radio station that used to actually play alternative music. Oh, yeah. So if you're a fan of that rock, it's all here. Everything you want. And this is in 96 where we were hinting at new metal and surviving Europop. Oh, yeah. I still like Europop sometimes. (laughs) No, I do too. I mean, exactly. But, you know, you think of where the 90s was going. I don't mean to talk about my own band, but we were having a discussion probably months ago about the Blame 21 record. Jim, the drummer, and I were the originals. And I was telling him, I'm like, go listen to the Offspring record from that same year. The drum tones are exactly the same. And he was like, no, they're not. I'm like, no, they really are. But the musician caliper, I'm not that guitar player or that singer, so it'll never be as good. But sonically, there's something there that you would never know that's 1994. I feel like this is a conversation Dan and I have had more than once. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then, like I said, Stavesacre was that refresher. They were even going outside of that as you were moving out of the that early 90s sound. Well, yeah, and you had also, you know, Mark's... I don't, I don't have anything but good things to say about Mark's singing because I know that I've listened to the band around people before and, it, like, for whatever reason, his voice rubbed them the wrong way and I don't hang out with those people anymore. Yeah. Um, but it is, it is kind of one of those things where he has such an original voice and he's one of the few singers in... You know, that kind of came from this scene that you can pick him out of a crowd immediately. Big time. Uh, just for just from the way he sounds. Like you could be walking around you, you could be walking around a big festival and just hear the band playing, you know, off in the distance and then, you know, and, and know exactly what you're getting into. Hopefully they're not on their last song, you know. Um but yeah, this record this record kind of blew my mind and I was actually listening to um I got this is the same uh cassette tape hall that I got frail uh by the blamed in and um you know and and so that that was kind of my first experience with like i remember listening to friction and then listening to frail and i'm not trying to make a direct comparison to the those two records but i remember being like okay so this is like the more socially like i remember holding up friction and holding up frail and being like with friction being like this is the more socially acceptable version of this yeah (laughs) you know and uh and i think it's cool because like i mean there's even um it's kind of a testament what you're saying too about you know kind of coming from the same scene um because there's songs on frail that kind of remind me of stave saker songs not like direct copies or necessarily even something that's conscious but just kind of the approach to writing melodic songs that were still heavy and powerful yeah the song breeze on frail is very stave saker yeah and now we weren't even going for that. To be honest, I think I had learned to play that kind of music in Mortal. Yeah. So for me, there were some songs in Mortal that were like that yeah. song, you know. But uh, fun fact, Mark Solomon sang on Breeze and Jeremy cut his vocals and it didn't make a cut. Oh, no. That would have been interesting. We would have been having a totally different conversation at that point because mm-hmm. I wouldn't yeah. see, I would have drawn the wrong conclusion that, oh, this must have been why Mike, why Mark went and did Stavesaker because it's like, you know, um, it has to have been some sort of influence of or whatever. It's, you make those weird connections in your mind, and then years later, you're like, yeah, no, none of that was intentional. No, it wasn't. He wanted to do melodic, though. Everybody knew that. When he sang on the Ballad of the Blamed with me, that was like, 
like one, like, uh, you know, my work here is done. I can go home now, you know, as far yeah. as my music career. And then, then he did something different out of the box. And I just remember loving it, you know, but I'm the music nerd that loves everything probably like you guys you know yeah yeah if it jams it jams sort of yeah, uh, yeah sort absolutely of yep speaking of absolutes 1997 that was good joe <laughs> that was good <laughs> well i mean i'll help you segue into absolute just new drummer that was a game changer in itself like i mean we all knew sam was amazing from his work with scattered few and uh savior machine but like hearing him on absolutes was just like wow this is one of the best opening tracks I think I've heard on a rock record that it like contains elements of almost everything else that you're going to hear, you know, throughout the experience. But I think one of the biggest things was that like, I wish that I had listened to these as they came out because there's something really fun about the nervousness of a band that put out a record that you love like friction. And then they're putting out a next record and you're like excited because you love the band and you want to hear what they're going to put out. And, but also a little bit of dread of like, what if this is, what if this sucks? You know, it's like going to see a star Wars movie these days, you know, I'm excited, but it it could also be terrible. Uh, But then like, you know, the opening song Shiv just jumps in there. Oh, just, and you're like, okay, everything's fine. I'm good. I'm going to have a great time. I bought the CD and I remember it didn't disappoint. You were just like, wow, this is so good. I'm just glad the vibe is still there. It's 1997. I'd never heard this record before this week. And I'm still getting that alternative rock, alternative hardcore influence. It's melodic. It's heavy. It's got the groove. I can hear the hum in it and I can hear the bands that will be playing a version of this style in a few years so it's a really nice sweet spot for me because yeah it's where everything came from it clearly influenced more bands than we've talked about and it just sounds good it's not trying to be shred your throat hardcore it's enjoyable sorry dan sometimes shred the throat is not a good idea <laughs> i mean teach their own but no i i yeah, this thing absolutely, as a, as a second record, or as a sophomore record, that's what music reviewers say, right? On their sophomore yeah. record. You know, uh, right. they, uh, but this absolutely is an example of a band doing kind of the same thing that they did before, but better, you know? Yeah. And, and, that, and that's not discounting the first record as being a cult classic to some people, because even I had a lot of trouble deciding uh, which one I liked more uh, whenever I was listening to, listening to it for the show. And uh, then I ultimately realized that I didn't have to pick which one I liked more because I have both of them. So I can just listen to both of them and be fine. Um, but I think this record absolutely ups the ante. Um, I think I think Mark on the first record maybe struggled a little bit with being a hardcore singer singing in a melodic band. Don't get me wrong. He has some amazing melodies in the first record, but on this one, it's, it's much more refined and it's much more, um, you can tell that he's a lot more confident in his vocal delivery on this one. Well, you can just tell they've been being a band, right? Like, you know, friction. I mean, I can't tell when I hear it, but you know, they were learning to be a band at this point. They've toured now, played shows jeremy left the band they got the professional drummer i mean right. these are all big deal things right. i always say i wish i could hear friction with sam the drummer on it because those songs <laughs> live are insane i mean yeah. I'm, a drum, I'm a drummer guy not a drummer but like 
for me, the drummer can make or break the band. And Jeremy did great on the first album, but comparatively, Sam did phenomenal on the pocket matters, man. The groove comes first. And I know um, it's not the most punk rock thing to say, but there's a reason why some of the most successful and some of the most interesting bands, and they're not always the same thing, are fun to listen to. Well, and Dirk is such a presence in this band. That bass vibe he does, I've never really heard anywhere else. So to hear Dirk and Sam be able to really connect and glue, just like you call it, the pocket together, is just it's like crazy. And Bob, the only thing I'd say about this record is my favorite song is Wither as Sin. Oh, yeah. But I love, I've always loved Jeff Blue's vocals. So the idea that he sings lead on the first part was always just magical for me. And I thought about this theme when you were just saying is about the vocals is, I think one thing to give credit to also with these records was how important Mark's lyrics were. Oh, yeah. Like all of a sudden coming into friction and absolutes. I mean, I'm getting lyrical content because Mark's an amazing, brilliant writer. So now all of a sudden the idea that I'm I'm not getting, I'm not just hearing Mark be pissed off about the world and Christianity on the crucified. I'm now getting this depth from him that we all know he does. And it just, you know, I don't read lyrics. I'm not a vocal guy, but I read his. Yeah. It's it's deep and it's it's thought provoking to the point where I think a lot of a lot of lyricists, myself included, I always struggled with trying to be direct and honest, but also to add in a little bit of that art flair, you know, that 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 sort of masterpiece of um, masterpiece is a good word, but just I don't know, just to have an artfulness, a poeticness to to what I'm saying. And um, Mark is probably one of the best at being poetic, but also direct, you know, and it not um, it not be so direct that it's like I was walking down the street and then a car stopped in front of me and then I also stopped walking, you know, like because there's a lot of a lot of bands and he that. waved me over. Yeah, <laughs> he just wrote the next Dave Zager song. No, but anyway, the uh, the thing is, is that like he is able. You may not necessarily always know because I struggled to kind of figure out like some of those concepts were so deep that I think as a high school kid first checking the band out at first, a lot of it went way over my head. Yeah, you know? I was in my twenties, so I was ready for it. Right, I'm ready. Let's go. Yeah, um, but I mean, as a writer, and I'm not a writer, but. I wish I had 5% of what Mark can put into a song with lyrics. Oh, yeah. And, you know, a good melody is a good melody. But, man, once you listen to one of these songs and you connect with what he's saying, that's that's the experience that every every band tries to create and very few actually are able to pull it off. Yeah. The connection is amazing. Are we ready for Speak Easy? Oh, I'm ready for Speak Easy. Um, 1999. This is one of those weird situations where I always say this. I say this all the time. So it's like when I say something's a weird situation, is it really weird? Because I bring it up all the time about how weird it is. Um, <laughs> being very self-aware on this episode. But uh, Speakeasy is obviously like the big push record because what every band needs. This is what every band needs to do. OK, just like make sure you guys are writing this down. Um, yeah. You know, establish what you are, which they did very, very masterfully on their first two records. We're very melodic. Establish, yeah, establish who you are, establish sort of an expectation in people's minds for what you're gonna get out of a record. It's gonna be alternative rock from the 90s. Right, well, but before that, it was also more like, there were multiple influences. It was a blender. It was a, it was a combination of, of alternative rock, but also having a little bit of that hardcore vibe 
but like not so hardcore that rock fans would like run away screaming, you know? So like, but wouldn't it be safe to say that they were also on the, on the edge very early on with post hardcore? Oh yeah. hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because what they've done on, what they've done on speakeasy is, uh, they've taken those expectations. They meet those expectations. I don't think I don't think there's any fans of the band that listen to Speakeasy and it's like, oh, these guys suck now. Uh, but this is where they this is where they introduced the most change sound wise and became more of that alternative rock band that people would would actually buy a record from. I is is the only nice way to say it. Um, you've got more. You know, you've got what I would consider to be kind of a power single with Sundown Motel. You know, you've got kind of all of the elements of a band that's about to go major. They, that was the trajectory. Yeah. Being, I mean, I was only, because I wasn't on Tooth and Nail at this point. I was only this much behind the scenes, and they were expecting Stavesacre to just explode. Yeah, and I think that... What's funny about Speakeasy, and I've gone on, I, I say this a lot, and there, it has no basis, but I feel like if Speakeasy had come out in 1997, they would be, they would have become one of the biggest bands, you know, out there. Um, and whenever I say that, I just want to establish that obviously um, Mark and the boys have sold more records than I will ever sell in my life. <laughs> um, you know, I, those who can't do criticize on the internet. Um, but yeah, this was this was uh, this was the first one I believe the first record that charted. Um, Me too. This is most and, of my friends would say this is their Stavesacre record. Yeah, yeah. This was a lot of people's introduction to the band and mine as well. Um, and I think uh, Mark even talks about it in his book too that like he remembers after that record came out. And I'm paraphrasing. It's been like five years since I read that book. Um, but he said something along the lines of like this is when that record came out. It was the first time people started calling him. Mark from Stavesacre, <laughs> you know, true. Uh, yeah, that it was his, that it was his main thing, and people wanted to talk about Speakeasy with him and talk about the talk about the lyrics and stuff. And I'm sure it was a whole bunch of people being all like, "So which songs are actually about God and which ones are not?" You know, because um, I was a youth group kid back then. I know well, how it goes. Even this record, it still came out in peaks of Christian music, and that yeah. was where, as we go forward with it. But I mean, this was like this record was also the departure of. Jeff Ballou. Like, Jeff, I think, participated on this record and wrote, but this was his, like, on the way out. Right. So it was... I remember I could tell that when I listened to it. Of course, when I got the record, I, I'm a harder music guy, so I preferred the first two. But that being said, I would listen to this record on the regular, sing along. Experiencing these songs live was just... I mean, there was... This record's great, but it, it doesn't even hold a candle to what the that live show was. Oh yeah. Do you think it was an exercise in we looked at the charts, we talked to the radio stations that play your songs sometimes and they say melodic is where it's at. Hardcore was becoming more hardcore, more extreme, new metal was becoming popular. Did somebody sit down with the band and just do the record label thing? We think if you guys go full melodic, full radio single, we've got a hit, we can sell it. Yeah, this would have been the late 90s where you couldn't necessarily make it on your own yet. So well, somebody they, had to be pushing a little bit, I think. I feel like it was, honestly, it was Ryan taking over some of the songwriting. Now, I don't know this. This is just me speculating. But at that point, Ryan and he had come in from Plank Eye. Um, Ryan and I were 
on the first Helpless Amongst Friends comp together in a quicksand sounding band uh, called Mend with Dano from Unashamed. <laughs> so, did, did not know that. Yeah. So seeing Ryan go into this role felt very natural. Seeing Ryan and the band get more melodic felt more just, it felt natural, all of it did. And they were trying to make it. So that one danger when you're in that world is um, you want to make sure you're writing, you know, authentic music, authenticity versus paychecks. Right. Because those songs that are equal paychecks never work. I mean, unless you're Taylor Swift or country music. (laughs) Right. Well, and I was going to say that, too. Um, Based on, like, how I feel about the record, I'm trying not to be biased about it. But I think, yeah, I think that it wasn't necessarily a push. I think the push was self, you know, was more self-motivated in in the sense of, like, we can take this, we can take this to the next level. But, like, you know, you, we've all heard, you know, those bands that literally change overnight and suddenly they go from being complex and deep to very, very simple. And and, um, it's, like, really noticeable, whereas with, with Speakeasy, this is a Stavesacre record. Some people would say it's the Stavesacre record. Most know? people would, yeah. Yeah, and so I think that all of the elements are there that have always been there. I think you've got extremely insightful lyrics. You've got extremely um, hard-hitting. I say hard-hitting and not in the not in the heaviness scale, but um, but hard-hitting, hard-hitting songs, songs that stick with people, songs that you remember, the songs that you know, will will stick with you, you know, for years after you hear the record. Um, I think this was all done a hundred percent sincere, but also with the intention of, yeah, let's let's become that band people are here to see. Yeah. You know, and I think they pulled that off brilliantly here. This record this record definitely hit me at the right time because I think that if I had heard it whenever I was predominantly a heavy music fan, I would have been like, Yeah, this record's great, but the first two are better. You know, yeah. that's that's kind of the, what I but this this just hit me at that right time when I still wasn't sure what kind of music I liked yet, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And live, it all translated though. When you saw this tour and they're playing Speakeasy, Absolutes, Friction, there's no lines dividing no. the songs. It felt very fluent or flowing or whatever you want to call it. It was cohesive. Yeah. Yes, cohesive. Yeah, one hundred percent. And this record was really, I mean. The biggest deal, because I remember, um, I remember a buddy of mine, um, not that buddy, um, but was it was basically like trying to show me Christian rock bands because I had just kind of gotten into that sort of culture, and he showed me Speakeasy, but then like he showed me a whole bunch of other Christian rock records, and like yeah, he should have showed me Speakeasy last because I would have actually given those other bands he showed me a chance. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, because I was like, well, this is clearly like this is close enough to the kind of music that I actually like, you know, um, and it's not even close. Like every all these other bands, it's like it's like rock, but then they like start rapping, but like they're not great at rapping. They're okay at the rock part, but they're not great at the rapping part, or or this or that. I don't even remember what half of those bands were, and I won't mention them even if I do because I'm sure Godcore.com. Yeah, yeah. remember Godcore.com? <laughs> that was the site. That was the site. But yeah, so I mean, obviously, Speakeasy. I mean, in my opinion, ten out of ten. Um, it is. It is my favorite Stavesacre record um, because I think it's the best all around. It's sandwiched right there in the in the middle of the discography, and it's a it's a it's a trajectory that they do stay on for a little while. 
the results are good. I don't, I, again, I don't think spoilers. I don't think this band has a bad record. And I'm not even being a fanboy. I tried really hard to pick these records apart and find things wrong with them or, or have some sort of contradicting opinion because, you know, it's no secret that if you listen to this podcast and I say a whole bunch of negative things about a band, you're going to say that's a better episode <laughs> than the one, you know, where I'm like, no, trust me, this is great. All of it. You know, I think the only band I get away with being a hundred percent positive on is Zayo, you yeah. know, but, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think that this record is a, is, is a 10 out of 10. And um, so to say that I was super, super stoked for the, I guess we're going to call this the self-titled <laughs> that comes out. The Nitro um, release. Yeah, the Nitro release. The Yeah. Yeah, I think it's how most people used to refer to it back in the day. Yeah. Because it was yeah, they, where they thought they were going to be mainstream. Right. Yeah, there was this, this was like, this was the result of all the hard work to get here. And um, it actually, you know, Joe, do you want to do you want to give this one a shot? 2002 stylized Stavesaker. <laughs> so I don't know how to read those pronunciation keys. So the entire a little bit more about me. Um, I, know, I know that's why you guys are all I know that's why you guys are all here, right? Um, that's why I'm here. <laughs> um, I don't know how to read these. Right. So I never know how to pronounce anything that that never helps me at all. And um, so I called this band for the better part of nine years. Hear me out. Stavziger. And I would tell people that I'd be all like, yeah, they're like, oh, here's some of your favorite bands. And I'd be like, you know, I like Zayo and Living Sacrifice and and Stavziger. And they'd be all like, who? And I'm like, you know, Stavziger. Uh, and I'm like, you know, Speakeasy, Sundown Hotel, you know. Oh, like, you meant like, oh. Stavesaker. No, but people would just roll with it. They wouldn't they wouldn't <laughs> correct me. I want to be corrected. That's why we ask you to email us and leave us feedback on things. Because if we're wrong about something, I want to know about it. <laughs> yeah. Did um, you guys ever look up what it means? The poisonous flower. That's really that makes a lot of sense. That's useless pretty deep. <laughs> no, that's actually that actually solves I, answers most of my questions. Thank you. I believe <laughs> Jeff Ballou told me the scene in Braveheart when he's William Wallace, a little kid, and his father dies or something, and the little girl runs up and hands him the flower. That's a stavesaker. Okay. Wow. Thank God he didn't eat the flower. Yeah, we <laughs> we'd had a completely different movie. We used to make fun of them being the um, the Irish weed. So. <laughs> um, so let's talk about this record for a second. Um, it's a tough one because of the Sonics. Because it, of the songs? No, the Sonics. Like it, oh, it the Sonics, their, okay. It was their first departure from, I believe, Brian Carlstrom. I think it's interesting. Yeah, and I, and I get what you're saying with that because this is where it could be argued. This is where suddenly the opening, like the, the, the opening riff on the first song, Witch Trial, is like good, but sound wise it sounds like a lot of rock from 2002 and i know that's the goal and i know that they're you know but I, I don't think it's ever been the goal of this band to sound like anyone else you know at least not directly but yeah the sonics are kind of one of those it, it's really the only thing because i think the material is very strong i always preferred the three songs from the record on the dennis and mars split oh okay because that was my intro to it was they did that split with dennis and mars yeah the three of the songs different engineer and I just always preferred the version on those. Yeah. And when it went into the actual um, Nitro version, it was it was just darker, muddier, and not dogging on it. Those are their words to an extent as well. 
they don't like this way the record sounds. Mud is exactly what this record sounds like to me. Yet, cosmetically, the guitars are mixed a little bit thicker, but then the drums still have that thin two mics in the room sound that you got with a lot of underground, alternative bands especially. So it fits in the Stave Saker discography, but somebody wanted to do something with this. And the reason I think it sounds muddy is because it sounds like they backed off on something. Somebody had a really cool creative design for what this album sounded like. And then somebody sent it to the mastering engineer and said, that's not going to work for the radio. We need to back that down. And then nobody questioned it or the band didn't have a say. It just sounds like something's missing. It sounds like if you remastered it, we'd get a different audible experience because right now it feels dynamically lacking. And I don't think you can say that for the previous records. Yeah, well, the fifth Beatles gone. Right. Your, 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 your guy, your, your mate, your go-to guy is no longer there. It's like you listening to discography discussion that I produced and and, and, and edited or whatever. You know, it's going to be... Yeah. It might be similar enough for like it to be passable, but it's not going to be... No, it wouldn't be. It would not. Um, <laughs> hosted a discography discussion show. There you go. But that was where I heard it right away was I knew that Brian didn't work on the record and it was audible to me. Jeff Ballou's now officially gone. Neil from what stairwell, I think. Yeah. Um, Neil's now in phenomenal guitar player. So there's this energy that Neil brings, but it just didn't capture it. And I, I don't like dog and records because I own this record and listen to it. But if I had to pick, I'll go to those three Dennis and Marr split songs first. Sure. Yeah, I think that it's more, and it's not necessarily that it's a bad, like, I don't think it's a bad record at all. I, I like the record, but um, I think that as far as the sound goes, you know, similar to kind of what Joe was saying, I think it was a kind of a marketability thing too, because I remember when Speakeasy was being marketed, it was just being marketed as rock, maybe even alternative rock. You could still kind of say alternative rock as long as you were in the 90s, even if it's 1999, everybody's going to still kind of know what you mean. This record, I felt, was marketed more as a like hard rock, almost almost like new metal type of record. It's not that kind of record, but I think they were trying to grab those fans because you look at everything else that's going on in 1999 in you know Christian rock, especially you had your Project 86s and your POD's and stuff that were just starting to become like noticed. But Steve Zaker was playing with those bands. Oh, yeah. When they fast forward to Nitro, they're now jumping in with like the Warp Tour culture. Yeah. And does it stick? Yeah. Um, and I think it doesn't, I don't think it works here. It may have worked for the time because I don't know how well, well this record did. I'm going to assume it didn't do well at all, um, like most of my collection. Um, but yeah, I think that they're pushing, you know, it, it's like pushing it into this more mainstream audience. But then also trying to add this sort of like faux, we're harder than we actually are <laughs> element to it. Sure, well, and I don't think the band did, but I think just the way it was produced and the way it was marketed was that yeah. way. Well, it, did, it was that first lesson a lot of bands saw with Jumpin' Ship also from Tooth and Nail, where you had Brandon Ebel putting his money where his mouth is, and you could jump to Nitro, and you're a small fish in a big pond at that point. Right. And now you've lost marketing to your primary audience, which is, I mean, they've done tours with the Supertones, Project 86, Living Sacrifice. Yeah. So now we're pushing you to 
what, Pennywise fans? And they're all standing there watching you with their arms crossed like, okay, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm sure there were plenty of people that were like, oh, this is really cool. But I think there is something about like, there is something to be said about kind of staying in your scene to the degree of there being a buzz about your band that is always there as long as your band continues to exist in some capacity. Interrupt me if this doesn't make any sense, but like, I guess what I'm trying to say is like whenever you go into that bigger pond like that um, and them not marketing you towards your primary audience is really dumb. I think I think labels have gotten better about that over time of being like, don't think of it as this band is leaving this market as much as we as a label are joining this market. Yeah, I think about I think right around the same time Brandon put out the uh, compilation, the, the greatest hits thing or whatever. Yeah. And I actually think the songs from the split with Dennis and Mars might have even been on that. I'm trying to look it up, the collection or whatever, right? Collective. Yeah, collective. Yeah. Yeah. Those two of those songs that ended up on the Nitro release are on Collective. And I believe Collective, if you were to break down the numbers, followed Stavesaker's trajectory from Speakeasy. But then Nitro didn't even have a way to, I mean, it's pre-internet. You right, know, they don't. They can't track that. Yeah, yeah. So how are you going to get your fans to hear about this record? Your Open Nitro takes out an ad in HM Magazine or where? I mean, I'm alternative yeah. press. I don't know that. I mean, the one thing I think that was also the bitter pill to swallow was realizing, though, Steve Zaker really is. It's a Christian band with a Christian audience. That that's yes. the demographic we're trying to get out of that, which is great, but. These folks that are loyal to your band, they don't know how to follow you. You know, I think I remember hearing of them doing like a bar tour after that or a mainstream venue tour, whatever. And they're, they've had a lot of shows with like 20 people at it. Yeah. And it was when they would go to the Christian venues and play that it would be thousand, you know, whatever. Yeah. You go to Cornerstone and there's like people backed all the way out of the tent, you know. Yeah. At that point, they're on main stage. Right. You know, so, but you're going yeah. from main stage to your normal nitro culture. It's, it's not the same. Now, yeah, that that part of it sucks. I do think that the record is strong on its own merits, totally. but it is one of those, you know, because they, it's not like they just stopped being the same band, you know, um, you know, overnight or anything like that. Um, but I definitely think I, per, I, I I've already said this, but I definitely prefer Speaky over Speakeasy over it. But I do like both of these records for that era of the band, yeah. um, just because it's like it's like two sides of a coin for me. 2006, how to live with a curse. You pick up your chainsaw and you get the job done. Wait, that's a different game. Yep. (laughs) I actually love how to live with a curse. And I think, though, the title is unfortunately very prophetic to just the scene at the time. The curse was they were a Christian band and they tried to get out of it and it didn't work. It was the same thing with this label to put this out. I don't remember what it's called or if I could pronounce it anyways, but you know, they, I think this record didn't even get an ounce of push. It was like the forgotten Stavesaker record. I think that's unfortunate because Stavesaker, the record, came out in 2002. I wonder if it was not received well because it wasn't satellite by P.O.D. Well, that was every record that came out after that. Yeah. But this one was in the market, theoretically, right? That's the things I don't think it, it existed. So now you have How to Live with a Curse, which has a very 
dark sounding name with a very normal for 2006 album cover. And then the songs are Stavesaker songs. But they're killer. Oh my God. I this wish this record came out record. five years before. We're on Tooth and Nail. Let's just call it like it is. Absolutely. It looks like it came out in whatever year this is, 2006, on Tooth and Nail, we would have a different record. Oh, yeah. I mean, as far as response, sales, vibe, I mean, this record is perfect, except for that it doesn't exist to most of their fans. Yeah, this is like the comeback album that you never knew happened, you know? And it's not necessarily a comeback from anything in the sense of like, you know, the band was gone for 20 years, <laughs> you know, and then, and then comes back or anything like that but it's like if you were a fan and if you were holding on to every word and then this record comes out on a label that you probably don't listen to if you're a fan of the of the old records you know it comes out in a scene that really you know i'm trying to think of 2006 we're still as far as i know we're still pre-social media here social media was breaking before that yeah Yeah. because like i do feel like that wouldn't have been the avenue to get word around like because nowadays like a band like a band like staves acres can get the word out people went on social media they said what their preferences were they start following band pages the promotion is so great in 2006 we're still like right before you can do that well my interpretation would be 2006 the devil wears product can drop a myspace page and sell 10, 10 to 80,000 records. True. And then Stavesacre, their demographic is all dads. And right. they're like, they're making sure their kids aren't looking at bad things on MySpace and have no idea that Stavesacre is even there. Right, right. Yeah. It's funny you say that. When I was when I was listening to Stavesacre uh, for this episode, when I, when I work, they're weird about headphones at work. At first, they let us wear our headphones when we work. And then they were like, no, you can only have one earbud in. And I'm I'm a music nerd, so that's not acceptable to only listen to one earbud while I'm while I'm at work. So I listened to a DeWalt speaker that I got with a whole bunch of tools from when I used to do like construction type work. And uh so I just started listening to my music out loud, you know, respectfully, but listening to yeah. it out loud. Um and I think I was in I, I was in the middle of I think I was in the middle of absolutes and somebody came up to me and they're like, Hey, can you turn your dad rock off? <laughs> You know, and uh, I was like, Dad Rock, I'll have you know, this yeah. band is, you know, and I went into the whole thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's criminal because of how good this record is. And really, a lot of the complaints that I had from the Nitro release are alleviated here. Remedied you know, 100%. Uh, it's, a, it's a straight up course correction, you know, and it's, um, I don't know, like, I don't know what to, I don't even know what to do with it because it is one of my favorite records by the band, but like, yeah, I never hear anybody talking about it. I bet people that look, because our, our audience is also a lot of dads. Um, I, I almost wonder if we're doing this episode, people are going to be like, oh, either they're either going to be like, I need to get lifts into that again, or they're going to be like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, because thank God for unoriginal vinyl. Yes. Pushing the speakeasy i mean they didn't get enough credit from us yet but like their speakeasy release was very helpful um i i don't remember if they were the final release but they really released out of with a curse on vinyl yeah. last beers and i can't remember if that was unoriginal so tim sorry if it's you but i know that those came out consecutively yeah. and that was following the last record that whatever 1995 there was a train wreck no pun intended with its final release crowdfunding all that stuff so so i think of my reason i bring that up is i think a lot of people did find this record based on the vinyl re-release right found it later on yeah yeah, because it got some buzz i am one of those people 
I knew this record existed really? and could never find it as a young person. And then it wasn't even on the streaming for a long time. I believe this was recently added. I think I just found it like at a record store because I did that. You know, I don't do it as much anymore nowadays, but like I used to just go to record stores and, you know, we all do this. You just go through every single CD that they have for sale. And if a band name that you recognize is in there, you just buy it, you know, and that's, that's how I ended up getting this record. And I guess I never really got gave a lot of thought to it as far as like, I think it was only like two bucks. A lot of the records that I was interested were in there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was like, great. And this probably, this probably was like 2007, 2008, sometime around there. But yeah, it's not exactly the type of ringing endorsement of like, you know, oh yeah, check it. Like none of us, I think none of us knew about it when it, when it really would have been most crucial for us to know about it. <laughs> yeah. But again, I think that it, it just didn't get, it disappeared. I mean, there's, I don't want to tell the story cause I don't know it that well, but I believe both this and the nitro, that's another just tragedy within itself is that they worked hard on these records they worked hard to get out of the christian market into the mainstream you could probably find a podcast with mark about it but then they put out these two records that were they weren't shelved but they weren't pushed either yeah and that's almost worse if you're on a major label or you have an agreement with a label and all they do is press it and then forget that they need to keep the rest of the bargain up so now you're floundering because your record is sitting on a shelf somewhere, not getting pushed. And you're, it's your fault. Yeah. That's the side in big business. Like, well, I mean, if, if only Stavesacre had, and that's not really fair because they did, that just, to, like we said, it being the big giant Marvel, what if? Can you imagine if both these records came out on Tooth and Nail? And that's the Nitro mix, which again, I'm quoting the band. They don't like the mix on that record. The Nitro mix being what it is, I still think that record, their fans are so loyal, they would have bought it. Oh, yeah. And complained about it, but bought it and loved it. Mark did a great job. the next one, yeah. And so that's where, you know, you just used, that was, again, for all of us in the scene, seeing how MXPX, no problem. Dave Zaker didn't have the same thing. Same time. Yeah, I think a lot of that, too. Because when I look at this band, I see a lot of, bubbles bursting at the wrong moments you know uh friction and absolutes and and even speakeasy speakeasy as successful of a record as it was was still on the tail end of that sort of kind of music being popular and then so they kind of move into this like you know with the nitro release almost in in this sort of faux heavier direction or whatever but then like suddenly there's no demand for that type of music in 2002 everybody's yeah. everybody's everybody's gone punk you know th- this is punk's moment to shine well at that point project 86 was probably a little bit dead yeah oh yeah you know Steve Zaker is the same demographic to an extent yeah that's sort of like we're based in we're bit like that that what we used to call just old-fashioned hard rock stuff yeah where we didn't have labels for everything you know who's a hardcore post hardcore uh technical progressive aggro industrial influenced whatever you know we just like yeah we we called um actually when we were younger we called bands like project 86 metal bands you know because yeah. that's that was our only point of reference some was of like, us did yeah, yeah they were heavy <laughs> they were yeah they're a heavy band and i think with, with staves acre it's like people whose introduction to music is something like the devil wears prada in you know the mid mid to late 2000s well the myspace culture you just yeah cornerstone i saw it 
Devor's Prod is playing generator stages by the sides of the road, but they've got probably 500,000 listens on MySpace. Yep. Yeah. And I remember back then at the time, because this is, this is more me and Joe's era, you know, when we were playing music, you know, we remember too how real, like, there's always that fear of like, is this online success going to match the real life success, you know, and all this stuff. And then you've got you've got bands like like Stavesager that deserve to be in the spot that they're in, but everybody's oh, too busy looking in a different direction. Well, they're just they got old. At that point, there is a side of this music culture that we all don't want to embrace, which is, I mean, at that Expired. point, yeah, yeah, you're just at that point. It's also embracing who's my fan base, who's buying T-shirts, who's buying records. There probably is one out of every. 500 Devil Horse product kids that does buy a Staves Acre record or t-shirt. Well, of course I know him. He's me. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's what I mean. But you were the diamond in the rough. Right. Ten <sighs> years would pass. That's sad. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, now we're all depressed. Um, no, I, I love music nerd stuff, so. Oh, yeah. I love being depressed. That's why I listen to this kind of music. Now, Joe, are you going to Against the Silence? I don't know if we're talking about that EP, Brian. I just didn't know the timeline where we're at, but that they did a reunion at Cornerstone that year. The Crucified played, Stavesacre played. They produced this EP. I think still I'm looking at right now, Steve from Project and Jason Martin did the recording. Jeff Blue's back in the band, and it was amazing. I got the CD at Cornerstone. It was on regular rotation. It felt like the Stavesacre record I was missing, and that's all I'll say. I'll give it back to you. No, that's fair. I mean, it's. As far as EPs go, this was um, this is one that I remember being pretty stoked for um, because of how high energy it was yeah. in comparison to the past, like the last few releases where it's like, when are we going to get on that uptick again? You know, when are we going to get, when are we going to start like, I don't want to use the word moshing, but when are we going to start like, in, instead of just sitting back and appreciating the deepness and the 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 intricacy of this or that this was just a more in your face kind of kind of gut punch sort of release and um yeah for fans of the band from the first two records this is a hunt this is essential listening well that's where you hear jeff blue the primary songwriter first two records back in the band right i don't know that ryan didn't write the whole thing but i just thought it was coincidence that here's jeff and here's a killer record It's definitely the heavier experience that most, if not all, old school Stavesaker fans are looking for and have been looking for for the past three records. I think this feels like an era of the band that I got early on, but the melodic sensibilities outweighed the extreme. And now I'm being reminded that this band hasn't always been that melodic, safe-sounding band that your mom and dad will let you listen to because they bought it in the Christian bookstore. This is one of those bands that is going to command your attention and energy if they ever put out another record, which is getting me excited for what's coming very soon. The magnum opus record. That's what I like to call it. 2017, 1995. It's my favorite record by them. Yeah, 1995 is proof of how we as fans more or less dismantled the record industry over the past 10 to 15 years. We brought all of our old band, all of our favorite bands back from the dead in a lot of ways, because for whatever reason, like, because people want to talk about, you know, and this is going to be a weird subject, but like 
people want to talk about like how bad social media is and how bad you know the digital age is and the the message of misinformation. I'm sure all those people are right and, and all that good stuff, but there are positive sides to everything. And I think the biggest positive side of the internet as we know it, you know, ignoring the fact that like three guys, well, until recently, had never been in the same room together, are sitting down having a conversation about this subject. And not only are we seeing and talking to each other as if we're all in the same room, but we're also um, talking about a band that honestly, if not for the way the world is now, would be gone. Totally. But suddenly all those dads, you know, the dads that are the fan base, the older guys or whatever, they all have their social media and they're connecting with friends they haven't talked to in a while. And suddenly they're like, oh, wow, you know, Stavesacre still around. Or at least even if a band's not around, we could get a hold of the people yeah. that are in it and let them know that people are actually interested in them doing something again, you know, um, because that's the reason a lot of bands break up. It's not always because of drama or because of this or that or this or that. There just comes a point where it's not feasible to continue doing so unless you know that there's somebody out there that actually cares about it. Um, and again, I'm not saying that's like what this record's about or what the theme is or anything like that, but it's just like, you know, this band puts out their last full length release in 2006. They come back 11 years later, stronger than ever. It's the favorite record. I don't even, when I got the record, I got the streaming, I think from them first. And I heard the intro into the dead rejoice. Mm. Gave me chills. Yeah. I mean, that's rare, but that was just, I was like, this is everything. And Mark comes in just right out the gates. You're talking about 1995. And I mean, and that picture he paints is flawless. Yeah. Yeah. This, this record is, this is a record that somehow is able to please fans of any era of this band. Totally. And that's, you know, it, it's not just lip service because I want Mark to come on the podcast, right? Like, it's not like, that's not, that's not what this record or that's not what this discussion is. It's, it's just that like, I've listened to a lot of discographies, man, and very few groups of people that decide to play music together are able to create the feeling that Stave Saker creates on this record. Totally. You know, there, there's not a lot of people that are able to come back in a way that, um, I don't know, man. I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make this big and I'm trying to make this big and complicated and sound important. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's just good vibes. But they painted the picture we all wanted. Yeah. 95. Yeah. That's what we wanted. Yeah. I wanted my 1995 Staves Acre and oh my gosh, I got it. Oh yeah, you did. And it was perfect in every way. You know, it was just, I mean, I'm, I'll be happy to make it grand for you. It was just so good. And the production on it. So it was funny because I asked Jeff, I'm like, this thing sounds so good. So the guy from the Deftones did this, like the same engineer. And Jeff's telling me, he goes, it's Paul big and i go yeah that's what i read he goes you know paul and i was like i do and he was like he was in the scattered few and i was like oh my gosh i know paul <laughs> that's where the sound comes from no but it just was that paul's got a gift and there's a reason he's done those deftones records and won awards and whatever then Dave Zaker raised enough money to do it right which they did yeah I feel it's like this no record did yeah. for you, Brian, what Inlet by Hum did for everybody. Yeah, everyone. <laughs> I almost said Dan and I. <laughs> it was only for me. They, I, I got a message from the band, so they only made that record for me. So, you know, I, you know I'll tell you what, going to uh, Furnace Fest and Stavesacre played The Dead Rejoice was 
So good. I want to make sure I rub Dan's nose in that. It yeah, was, that's fine. It's it's okay. You got pictures, right? No, I should have. Well, I got pictures of me and the guys hanging out. But I mean, I watched a bunch of the YouTube videos. Um, when did Jesse from the sat there and I drove through St. Louis on the way there, we both said we should pull over, pick up Dan, and throw him in the trunk. You should. I would have helped you. Yeah. And then I would have jumped would have. in the trunk and or tied myself to the hood of the car. As long as I knew that it was you guys doing it, you know, don't throw a, a, a bag over my head or anything because then I'm going to try to escape and it's going to get, yeah. you know, but yeah, this is, oh God. Yeah. This is, this was such a good record and such a great way to cap off a discography because normally when I'm done listening to a discography, a little different with this band because I've listened to them for years, but um, I'm usually exhausted by the time I get to the end of it. And I have to admit that the last two releases were exhausting, not because they were bad, but because there's just a lot of like what could have been associated yeah. with them. Because um, if the last two releases are what could have been, this record is, this is what is, and this is what has been, you know? And um, I don't know about you guys, but I take great comfort in that. No, completely. I mean, it's, again, I only have perfection to say about it. So I think any record that, throws me back to 1995 and reminds me how everyone used to approach their instrument differently. Watch any drummer from the 90s, now watch the early 2000s. If they didn't totally change up their setup, they changed the way they sat, they changed the way they approached the kit and the way that they wrote their beats. Guitars had different tones in the 90s. And anything that can take me back to remind me why I started playing music in the first place is a hundred percent perfection for me. So I might not be as big of a fan as Brian is, but I'm in on this one. This is the beginning and the end coming together to remind you that the band you love isn't the melodic bit you had in the middle, but we still have those records too. Totally. Final thoughts on Stavesaker. Dan. I mean, just go out and like go out and listen to 1995. I think you just start there and work your way back with everything that we said in context, everything that we said. So if you need to go back and take notes and timestamps, I understand. We will wait for you to do that now. All right, now that you're done doing that, um, yeah. I mean, honestly, this is a band that you could you could honestly start anywhere you want and find something to like if you're a fan of deep introspective rock music that for lack of a better way of saying it isn't completely up its own ass because there's a lot of bands out there that do the deep artful introspective deep lyrics thing and it's all for fluff and it's all for some kind of weird credibility um this is this is actually my favorite mark band because of the honesty and the realness in the lyrics but with his just poetic sort of um approach i don't think has really ever been matched by any other band that i listen to so even though this style of music isn't always my go-to i go back to it for that i think stavesaker is one of the bands that everybody missed when they look back on the 90s and say hum was my favorite band it's all about tool it's not about the 90s. It's about the early 2000s and some of the pop punk shit that everybody did. Stavesaker is the band you forgot to listen to. I know I forgot to listen to them because I've heard some of these records, but now I'm listening to the entire discography and I feel like I found a gem and that gem is mine and no one else's. 
But everybody that knows about Stavesaker loves this band because they're heavy, they're melodic, they're interesting, they're entertaining, and they don't really have a bad song. They don't really have a bad record. You could start at the beginning and you can jump to the end and it all fits together. You can listen to the melodic records in the middle and they all fit together. Then you'll find the pieces of everything that fit together and Stavesaker will be one of your favorite bands. So you need to listen to Stavesaker. Brian Gray, final thoughts on Stavesaker, man. Well, I got to go to Furnace Fest and see them play. (laughs) Come on, man. And I will say I definitely had an emotional experience just Mark walking out, commanding the stage, singing songs like Gold and Silver at the moment, uh, Threshold, doing the uh, the Dead Rejoice from 1995. I mean, they're one of my favorite bands, and I stand by that. And even the bad records are great, and the great records are even better. And what's your album of the week, Brian? Well, I mean, I've been listening to Steve Zaker for you guys, but... um. <laughs> Do it for the show. Yeah. Do it for the show. I know. I can just put 1995 down if you'd like. Then no, I've been listening <laughs> to whatever. I don't remember what it's called. The last at the drive-in. Oh, I, I know what you're talking about. I just can't pronounce the name of the record. That's who we should, we should talk about at the drive-in sometime. I like at the drive-in. I, I Same. But the um, Interalia, that's the one I've been listening. I was listening to this, you know, rounding out the week. Dan, what about you? Well, I've actually been listening to an EP uh, as a bit of a palate cleanser. I had to get back into my listening to growly music, uh, as you put it. Uh, So I've been listening to the Color of Bone EP by a band called Violent Life, Violent Death. Um, I love that band. Um, If you hear hear the vocals in that band, you'll know why I like that band a lot. Um, So... I'll let you go listen to it and connect the dots yourself. But yeah, check that out. It's an EP. I'm recommending an EP. So all you guys out there that are like, dude, Dan hates EPs. He doesn't even know what EPs are. If he had just listened to this EP, he would have seen the band in a totally new light. And da, 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 da. I, I listen to EPs and, and you guys don't know this, but when, when I do my listen throughs for these albums and for these bands, even if we don't talk about the EPs, I still, I still listen to them as part of my, my thing. And, so if an EP does stand out to me, we, we will talk about it much as we did this evening. Uh, so uh, keep bear that in mind. We're not we're not anti EPs over here. We just we only have so much time. I was able to bring up the Staves Acre EP. So nah, Brian gets special privileges. It's just yeah, you know. Well, Brian's here. Sam is not. I wish he was so I could tell him that my album of the week was Sin Disease by the Scattered Few. Nice. Kill the Beautiful. Sarks, man, and hang them from the rafters. Brian Gray, thank you so much, man, for coming on. I love talking to you. I, I, I always, you know, it, it's funny to me a lot of the times at, at night whenever I've got, like, all these big thoughts that I've got to get out and you're the only person awake, you know, to, to read my message. It'll be, like, 2, 33 o'clock, and I bet both of us are, like, looking at the clock being like, when does this guy go to bed? You know, the answer is never. No, I love it. I'm at work, so sounds great. But um, guys, definitely keep a um, keep an eye out on this uh, on this twenty one in twenty one that's not actually in twenty one that's coming out twenty twenty one. Yeah, it's gonna be great. It's it's gonna be great, and um, not just because Joe and I will have a a, a small piece of it, uh, or be on a small piece of it, and um, you know, definitely get that satire. Do not sleep on the satire. I know 
that the release schedule isn't always um, as consistent as you'd get with other bands, but this band is awesome. And um, just trust me on this. If you haven't, if you haven't listened to any of the singles they released, you, you need to. It's it's really good, and we appreciate Brian so much for coming on the show. And uh, we will probably do it again when we all collectively have a band that we all want to talk about. Well, thanks for having me. It's really, um, you know, I don't take it for granted. I think what you guys do is really awesome. Please tell me why you guys haven't covered Kill the Sarks yet. Because <laughs> I can't play it. Take us out, DFT. If you guys have been listening to this podcast and you want to reach out to us in any way, shape, or form, you can do that in a lot of ways. You can send us an email at show at gmail.com or you can message us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash discography discussion. You can also find us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. You can find us on Instagram at Discuss Metal. You can find us on YouTube at Discuss Metal. Dan, drop a line. Let us know how we're doing or leave us a review somewhere. We want to hear from you guys. Thank you so much for checking out this podcast. I can't wait for you guys to hear what we have in store for you in 2022. If you would like to be a supporter of the podcast financially, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash discuss metal. If you would like to support the podcast financially through sponsorship, if you have a business or a band or something you would like us to shout out or otherwise promote for you in some way, hit us up at show at gmail.com. Let us know what you got and we will let you know what we've got. And on that note, this has been episode 257 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things Discography Discussion. And please send questions and comments to Dan and Joe Show at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at Patreon.com forward slash Discuss Metal. We have some sweet perks. Hey, Joe, can I borrow some money? $1 a month gets you into that exclusive album review feed. Rap.